And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and sing praises to him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will rise, who will arise to rule over the nations. The Gentiles will hope in him. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Rich. I was really encouraged to see those, um, that presentation on the church buildings. It's a bit of nostalgia seeing the old buildings. To see them, I don't know if you were here all those years ago, five years, six years ago. You say, oh, look at those buildings. I remember them. And then seeing the transformation. But I think the thing that struck, stood out to me as I was watching that is church life happens in moments and days, like life happens in moments and days. But you see those moments and days all squashed up together. And you say, gosh, there's some beautiful people doing some beautiful things. And the other thing is you notice from those photos that it's all about people. Um, church is about people. People serving Jesus together. People praising Jesus together. And that is what we're going to be talking about this morning, looking at in this passage, people from all over the place, all sorts of different people united under Jesus. So let's pray as we come to God's word. Father, help me to speak clearly and truthfully. Help people to listen well and in a discerning way. And work amongst us by your spirit. Speak to our hearts, convict our spirits, convict our soul of what we need to do to align our lives with your word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. My mum and dad live in Brooklyn, down on the Hawkesbury River. They've got a house that looks, it's raised up high, it's on a slope like this, and it's raised up high and it looks over Sandbrook Inlet and then Long Island in the background. And it's quite a nice lookout. So they're raised up high, lots of sun comes in, but they like to feed the birds. And they feed all the birds. If there's a bird that'll eat, they've got food for it. So you sit there and galahs and the cockatoos and the corellas and the uh, rainbow lorikeets, the scaly lorikeets, kookaburras, butcher birds, magpies, what have I left out? Noisy miners, the noisy miners come... They feed all the birds, but you notice when they feed the birds that the birds generally like to come in packs together. So the sulphur-crested cockatoos will come down together and there'll be four or five. They may not be particularly getting on with each other. They'll be a bit you know, pushy, but they'll put up with one another. But if a rainbow lorikeet comes down at the same time, you can see they all get a bit cranky. Or the rainbow lorikeets all come down together and just one cockatoo comes down. The lorikeets get a bit cranky and if they're noisy miners, they're always cranky. They're just a cranky bird. They come and they fly around, they get cranky with everybody. And it sort of fits this basic principle that birds of a feather flock together. Like the birds of the feather, they'll tolerate each other. But we really don't like the outsider, the other bird. Because birds of a feather flock together. Now, it's a little bit like church. You get a bunch of similar people together and they'll sort of tolerate each other in church. But if somebody different or if a different group comes in, it's... And and so this has become a principle in church growth. It's been given a fancy name. It's called the homogenous unit principle, which basically says that birds of a feather flock together. So if you want to grow a church... One of the good things to do is to follow the homogenous unit principle, which means 
I met a hipster. Read in the bulletin, I met a hipster last week. You should have hipster church so that all these guys with their beards over their necks can feel, and big sunglasses can feel like they fit in with each other and they're not weird. Or out of place, you have young people's church so that all the young people don't have to worry about the old people. You have ethnic church, a Sri Lankan church or a Chinese church or a Persian church so that we can all know that we're sort of roughly dissimilar or a white Anglo church. Birds of a feather flock together and when you come along, when the white Anglo comes into a white Anglo church, oh, there's lots of people here, a young white Anglo church, there's lots of people here just like me. So I might stay and therefore the church grows. So homogenous unit principle, just like my parents' balcony. Now, cast your mind back 2,000 years. We're in the Roman Empire. Nero is emperor and all roads lead to Rome. It's a massive empire and the Romans have done a fantastic job unifying all these disparate people. But there is this new Jewish religious movement that started and it's spreading all over the Roman Empire. People are saying that this man Jesus of Nazareth, he is the Jewish Messiah that was promised. In fact, he is king of the world, king of the universe and he offers forgiveness of sin. He offers eternal life. He offers renewal and restoration and lots of people are coming and putting their faith in this Jesus, this Christ, this Messiah. And it's spread to Rome. There are these Jesus followers, this Jewish group in Rome, forming what we might call a church. Now, in AD 50, Emperor Claudius has enough of the Jews. They're a troublesome people. So he kicks them all out of Rome. They're exiled. They're sent out of Rome. But not everyone in the Church of Rome is a Jew. Most are. Claudius dies. The edict to exile the Jews is removed. Some people stay where they are, but others return back home to Rome. And as they return to Rome as followers of Jesus, they join other followers of Jesus and guess what's happened? The church has grown while they've been away. In fact, it's grown and it's now full of all these pagans these Gentiles, these non-Jews, these Romans. And they are calling the shots in the church. They seem to have the upper hand, the power. So the Jews come back with their Passover celebrations and their Sabbath observance and their bar mitzvahs. And we won't eat meat that's been sacrificed to idols because we really hate idolatry. And they come back into a church and... They don't seem to care about bar mitzvahs or about Sabbath observance or Passover and they don't seem to care about eating meat that's been sacrificed to idols. It's just meat. Now, what do we do in this situation? Ah, birds of a feather flock together, right? Homogenous unit principle. So what we'll do in Rome now is we'll form a church over here of Jewish people and they can have their bar mitzvahs and then the boys can go and join the youth group and it'll be just a nice Jewish youth group 
And then we'll have the church over here in Rome where all the pagans can eat the meat that they want and the two groups will look at each other with suspicion and distance and concern. But surely the church will grow because of the homogenous unit principle. Yes? Brilliant. You know, in Romans, Paul almost addresses, almost the whole of Rome, it's a bit of an overstatement, but almost the whole of his letter to Rome is to address this situation, this difference between the Jew and Gentile and understanding God's purposes for his people, the Jews, and for people who have come to faith in Jesus, the non-Jews, most of us. And in chapters 14 and 15, Paul addresses this issue specifically of what do you do with your differences, particularly Jewish observance differences and Gentile practice differences. And, you know, Paul does not say in chapters 14 and 15, which we've been looking at in recent weeks, he does not say observe the homogenous unit principle. He does not say, it's okay guys, birds of a feather flock together, go your own way. He does not say that, he says exactly the opposite. He calls them to a higher calling. They are now slaves together of one Lord. They are one new family. They have together, whether they be Jewish or non-Jewish, they've been called out of this world. They've been called out of Rome. They've been set apart. They've been put in exile together as new citizens of a new home living in Rome. And they have a greater purpose. Today Paul wraps up. The passage we just had read, Rich read for us, 7 to 11, is the end of this argument from 14 to midway through 15 of what, why you need to be together. But did you know it's almost the end of the whole of Romans? Because from this point on, after this passage, Paul basically says, oh, so I'm on a mission trip and hello to everybody. It's kind of just a complete wrap-up. But he kind of finishes the argument that he began all the way back in chapter 1. So this is a significant passage because Paul's like the whole of Romans is almost coming to an end and then just the tail off for the last little bit. He comes in a sense full purpose as he says God's eternal purpose is that his people be one people united together under one Lord the promised Messiah, my son, Jesus of Nazareth. Chapter 14 states the basic principle that Paul's been emphasising in 14 and 15 right at the start. Paul begins, accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgement on disputable matters. In verse 3 he says, the man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not and the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does for God has accepted him. God accepts. That word accepts. God welcomes. God embraces. So you also welcome and embrace one another. As he comes to the end of this argument, chapter 15, verse 7, our passage, he writes, same, uses the same word, Accept one another then, just as Christ, the Messiah, 
has accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Did you notice that he starts, accept one another as God has accepted you and he finishes here, accept one another as Christ, the Messiah, has accepted you. Equating the Christ and God. But here at the end his focus is that you are now together under this Messiah King, this Lord. And here we are at a worship service. As Vic says, we've been singing songs of praise this morning. And that's a great thing to do. All over this city, all over this nation, all over the world on this Sunday, people are meeting in worship services and they're singing songs of praise. We could call them praise services as we declare our praise and honour to God together, often in song and in other ways. But did you know what Paul says here, there's a better way to bring praise to God as you gather together. There's a better way to worship God. Accept one another then just as Christ has accepted you in order to bring praise or glory to God. If you want to praise God, if you want to declare his glory, then when you gather with other believers in Jesus, welcome them, accept them, embrace them as God has embraced you and that brings glory to God. In the corporate gathering, there is a praise service. Different birds united as one. Accept him because they've been accepted. And whether we sing is optional. And in fact, to sing with division and separation is less praise to God, less glory to God. We've got a higher calling. The basic principle, accept one another just as Christ has accepted you in order to bring glory to God. That is the end point. That is the glory of God revealed that he can get, gather his people and unite them under his son. That is project finished. That is the temple built. But every temple needs a foundation. And God's temple, God's project has a foundation. It has a starting point because you don't start building a temple with the roofs and the walls. You start at the foundation. And verse 8 tells us the foundation that God started with. And the fascinating thing is it's a focus not on all the birds but on one particular, if you like, type of bird. You might say the most important bird, the foundational bird the focus in chapter 8, verse 8, is on the Old Testament people of God. The children of Israel, the children of the covenant of circumcision, the Jew, verse 8. Accept one another then, just as Christ has accepted you, in order to bring praise to God, for I tell you that Christ, the Messiah, has become a servant of the Jews, of the circumcision, on behalf of God's truth, to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs, the fathers. See, way back, God made promises to one man, Abram, who became Abraham. And he made promises to him regarding his descendants. Right back in Genesis chapter 12, the Lord said to Abram, leave your country, leave your people, leave your father's household and go to the land I will show you. 
and I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. And I will make your name great and you will be a blessing and I will bless whoever blesses you and I will, whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That promise is repeated in many different ways. We get to chapter 22 towards the end of the Abraham story. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham and said, I swear by myself that because you have been faithful and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants, your seed, as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, your seed, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. The Old Testament is the outworking of all those promises to Abraham. There's this constant hope that God will bless the descendants of Abraham. He will renew and restore them despite their sin and rebellion. And that renewal, as the story continues, will come through a descendant of great King David. One day, someone from David's line will arise who will rule with an everlasting rule of righteousness and justice and peace and he will restore all things. And the people of the Old Testament, the children of Israel, they waited and they waited at the best with hope and with faith to see these promises fulfilled. And Jesus of Nazareth was born. We celebrated at Christmas. He was a descendant of King David. He was born to be that promised king, that servant, the Messiah, the Christ. Jesus came and he confirmed God's promises. He showed that God was faithful. He confirmed God's truthfulness. And so Paul's writing to the Romans and he's saying, God has been faithful. The Messiah has come for his people, the Jewish people, as was promised. The Jewish Messiah that you've all been waiting for, that Israel was hoping for and longing for, has come. And when Jesus came, his ministry was to the Jews in Israel. And that is the foundation of God's faithfulness and promises. There is no other foundation. Paul writes to the Romans at the very start of his letter, in chapter 1, and he says, speaking about the good news of Jesus, I can almost remember this, but I'll look it up because I'll probably get it wrong. I am not ashamed of the gospel, says Paul, the good news, because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes for the Jew first and then for the Gentile, for non-Jew. Because Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. And in our mostly Gentile churches, just like the church in Rome probably was, we need to keep remembering that the physical descendants of Abraham have and had a special place in God's plans and promises and purposes and Jesus came as promised 
as their Messiah, their King. That is the foundation. But a foundation has a purpose. And the purpose was stated right there back in the very early promises. To Abraham the Lord said, I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. In chapter 22, that same sort of promise, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore and through your seed, your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. The promises were never that Israel and Israel alone would become a great nation, that Israel would be superior or distinct. The promise was that through Israel, through the descendants or the seed of Abraham, God would bring blessing to every nation, to every people, all peoples. And Israel, the descendants of Abraham, they are set apart. They often lived as exiles They are called by God to be a people with a mission, with a purpose, a purpose that was fully realised, not through themselves because they kept on failing because of their sinfulness, but through the coming Messiah to bless the whole world. So Paul can write, as he does here in Romans 15, I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, God's faithfulness, to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs, to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, so that the Gentiles, the non-Jew, the nations, may glorify God for his mercy. From the foundation, according to the plan, a building begins to rise. God's purposes. We call it the church of Jesus Christ. Two weeks ago I gave a message very similar to this following the same idea of God setting a foundation in the prophets and apostles and the scriptures from which the church, his purpose and purpose arises. Verses 1 to 6 almost match in completely different language verses 7 to 13. So it is a very similar message because it's the heart of God's plans and purposes. His plan was always to bless the whole world through the Jew, in particular through the servant of the Jews, their Messiah. That is the foundation. And as Jesus, the Messiah, brings God's purposes to pass, he does so so that all peoples may come and glorify God, united under the Messiah King. God's plan is that there will be glory through unity of both Jew and non-Jew. In fact, if you go back to the plans, you'll see it all there written in the plans. This is no accident. It's all there in the Old Testament scriptures. And so in verses 9 to 12, Paul quotes four times from the Old Testament. And as he has these four quotes, they're from the three major parts of the Old Testament scriptures. The law, the prophets and the writings because the whole of the Old Testament has this intention. He only has four quotes. 
You could have had many more. The first quote is from Psalm 18 and 2 Samuel 22. It's repeated. And in that passage, King David sings God's praises because of God's victory. And David says, as it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the nations, or the Gentiles, same word. I will sing hymns to your name. The king, who is a foretaste of Jesus, sings, I'm going to praise you, Father God, amongst the nations. Because it was always for the nations. The second quote is from Deuteronomy 32 and the Song of Moses as Moses sings about the victory of God. Again it says, Rejoice, O Gentiles. Rejoice, O nations, with his people. Moses wanted the whole world to rejoice with Israel in God's victory. The third quote is from Psalm 117, the shortest psalm in the Bible, the shortest chapter in the Bible. And again, praise the Lord, all you nations, all you Gentiles, and sing praises to him, all you people. In fact, it's worth reading Psalm 117. It won't take long. Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you peoples. For great is his love towards us, And the faithfulness, the same word as truth, the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. All peoples. And then the big one. Paul quotes from Isaiah, the prophet, the great prophet. Chapter 11, verse 10. And again Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations, the Gentiles, the nations, will hope in him. Jesse was King David's father. So from Jesse, one will spring up, he will arise, the same word as resurrection. One will arise to rule over the nations and the nations, the Gentiles, will hope in him. See, God's plan was always for the nations. Always for people like you and me. Blessings for the whole world. It's there in the blueprint throughout the Old Testament. The promises to Abraham would be realised through God's Messiah King who would bless the world, the whole world, as they come under his rule. Not Caesar is Lord, but Jesus is Lord. We will praise in unity Birds of a feather flock together, not in God's purposes. All nations will come and the living God will transform them. Change their feathers, if you like. Unite them. We have a higher calling. Paul writes about it in Ephesians chapter 4. Almost the same message as Romans 14 to 15, if you've been here for the other talks. As a prisoner of the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have, been, you have received. You've been called. You've been set apart. You're exiles. Now live worthy of that. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. That's chapter 14. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called 
to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is over all and through all and in all. Church united. Now you see how important it is as a church, I believe that we be united and that the church be for every nation and every age and every element of social strata. Gathering locally to be sure. So not everybody will be in the same local area but it's for everybody. One of the glories of Penno although not perfectly diverse, that we are relatively diverse to the glory of God. And this has a huge mission imperative, doesn't it? God wants people from all nations united under the rule of Messiah Jesus. That means he wants Jew and Aussie and Chinese, and Filipino, and Indonesian. And even those Brits, united under the rule of the Lord Jesus. Not only that, he wants people from the Ice Valley under the rule of the Lord Jesus in Central Asia. And if you were to go to Taiwan, where Christine ministers, and where Brian and Judy were for many years, he wants educated and working class under the rule of the Lord Jesus. He wants Mandarin speaker, Hakka speaker, Hokkien speaker. He wants the tribal groups under the rule of the Lord Jesus. That's his plan and purpose, praising God together. We have an imperative to make Jesus known as we declare his praises throughout the whole world because together We are a chosen people. We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We're a people belonging to God that we may declare his praises. Declare the praises of the one who has called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. One of the best ways to declare his praises is just to be united under the rule of the Lord Jesus. Can you see how important what we're doing is? This is not a game. We're playing today. This is not a liturgical adventure, an exercise in praise and worship, singing a certain way. This is not a social club. This is a local expression of the church of the living God that is to be united under one Lord. And in that unity... We declare that God is faithful, that his promises and purposes are coming to pass as we gather together as one under Jesus Christ. This is not a game. This is what God has purposed from eternity past. And in Rome, their concern was meat and wine and holy days. And it was causing divisions and splits. Who's running this church? And Paul says there is so much bigger stuff happening here. There is so much more going on than whether you eat meat or not. 
what I want you to do is to accept one another just as Christ has accepted you in order to bring glory to God. It's a big deal. This is God's plan. This is God's purpose. If we go to the very end of the story, to the last book of the Bible, we can see that this is God's great plan and purpose. Come with me to Revelation chapter 9. Verse 9. That's not right. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. John's having a vision and he says, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation and tribe and people and language And they're standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb who is the Lord Jesus and they're wearing white robes and they're holding palm branches in their hands and they're crying aloud together in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And there's this glory and praise and John sees this crowd and he says, One of the elders, who are these? Where do they come from? And he says, those are those, these are those who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. They've been cleansed as they've come to Jesus. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them and never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them nor any scorching heat for the Lamb at the centre of the throne will be their shepherd and he will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eye. God gathers these people from every nation, his people to praise him and he looks after them and he gives them peace and he gives them joy and he fulfills their every desire. That is God's eternal purpose. If you go to the end, even further back, we see a city of God in chapter 22 and at the centre of the city is the throne of God which becomes a lamp. Chapter 21, verse 23. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its lamp and the nations will walk by its light. There we all were all there and the kings of the earth will bring their splendour into it and the glory and honour of the nations will be brought into that city. And in the city of, there's, this, there's this river running down through the city and on either side of the river is a tree of life And the leaves of that tree are for the healing of the nations. Because God's intention and purpose under the Lamb, under the Lord Jesus, is to gather the nations and to bless them and to bring healing. This is God's purpose. This is God's plan. And we are part of that plan. We need to express it. Paul comes to wrap up his argument. As I say, almost the argument he began back in chapter 1. And he finishes with a prayer for unity. A prayer that the gospel that he's been outlining in chapters 1 all the way through to chapter 15 might be known and relevant within the church at Rome, within the church here at Penno. Verse 13, May the God of hope, that is, may the God who has a plan, the God who has a purpose, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace 
as you believe in him so that you may overflow with hope because you know God's got a plan and a purpose by the power of the Holy Spirit. God wants the promises he made to Abraham to be realised in the local church, whether it be at Rome or London or Jakarta or Pennant Hills. That is the best prayer. That is a prayer worth memorising and repeating. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a whole message just in that one prayer. But it means this. In a war-torn world where death reigns, in a world of suffering and struggling, where people turn from God, in a world where so many are lost and living empty, frustrated, searching, yearning lives, God has called his people apart and called them to be exiles. Different, set apart, fit for mission. Exiles together as one body under one Lord. Exiles, exiles who are whom the God of hope fills with joy and peace as they believe in him. So they may ever overflow with hope by the power of God's Holy Spirit. So, birds of a feather flock together. Here's your challenge. In God's church, God takes birds of every feather And in his eternal purposes, his desire is that they flock together. Kind of with new feathers. It's kind of true, but kind of with new feathers, clothed as we've sung with the righteousness of their Lord and Saviour Jesus. And that's what binds them. And that's what holds them and that's what gives them joy and peace as they overflow with hope by the power of of the Holy Spirit because we live under one Lord with one faith and one baptism. Let me pray. Father, you have called most of us who are here this morning into this fellowship. We pray that you would help us to work at tangible expressions of our unity and that by that we may bring glory and praise to your holy name, you the great God who had a plan, who, the God of hope who gives us hope as we fit ourselves together under your eternal plans and purposes. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for Jesus, our Lord and our Saviour, and we pray that we would live for him. We ask through our Saviour. Amen. Thanks, John. Well, this morning we've seen and been reminded that through Jesus, God's blessing has come to all nations. 
And now is the time where his mercy and his salvation are being held out uh, for all. It's a great picture, isn't it, that we've been reminded of that uh, one day, as well, Jesus is coming back uh, to claim his exiled people um, for all eternity. So let's close our time together by looking forward to that day as we sing a song called uh, Look, He Comes with Clouds Descending. Please stand, we'll sing together. Thousand, thousand, six.